G'day and welcome to Perco's Podcast, a podcast all about strategy, leadership and soul care. We're here to help you obtain your personal, professional and spiritual goals without losing your soul. We hope that today's episode is refreshing and gives you a new perspective. Now here's your host, Jason Perkins. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 25, part one of Perco's Podcast. I hope it is well with your soul today, wherever you are listening from around the world. Hey, today's episode is for anyone who is connected with or will one day be connected to anyone who was born from 2010 onwards. So if you're a parent, grandparent, teacher, employer, aunt, uncle, or just a human being for that matter, today's conversation is so important for you as we talk about Generation Alpha, which by the way, will be the largest generation in human history with over 2 billion in population by the year 2024. So stick around for today's conversation. It's going to be fantastic. Hey, this month I got to connect with a listener who listens to the podcast from Austin, Texas. And he shared with me how the podcast has inspired him to begin practicing a four-hour Sabbath on Saturdays. He and I are both recovering productivity addicts, and we had the best conversation about how slowing down and surrendering a part of our time to God through Sabbath has actually helped feed our souls and strengthen our dependency on Jesus. He is now planning to grow the length of his Sabbath over the rest of the year, and I just want to encourage anyone that's listening to the podcast, if you have never tried practicing Sabbath, I highly recommend it. It has been a game changer for me personally and for our entire family. And I'd love to chat with you more about that if you're interested. So hit me up on social media or email and we can work out a time to connect. You can email me at jasonperkoperkins.com. That's hello at jasonperkoperkins.com. Or you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. It's just simply Jason Perko Perkins. Today, I'm super excited for this conversation because I have two friends who are returning to the podcast today to discuss their brand new book that they have co-authored together. Mark McCrindle is joining us today, and you can hear more of his story from episode five of the podcast, along with Ashley Fell, who is joining us from episode 12. They are back today to discuss their brand new book, Generation Alpha. Before we dive into this conversation, though, I just want to share a little bit about Mark and Ashley. Mark McCrindle is a social researcher, TEDx speaker, best-selling author, influential thought leader, and principal of the research-based advisory firm McCrindle. His passions lie in tracking emerging issues, researching social trends, and analyzing customer segments. Mark is an advisor to executive boards and committees across Australia And as a sought-after demographer, futurist, and social commentator, Mark is regularly engaged to advise executive boards and present workshops, strategy sessions, and keynotes across Australia. He has a Master's of Psychology. He's a two-time TEDx speaker, has delivered over 100 keynotes in the past year, and he's regularly interviewed on prominent television programs as well as on radio, in print, and online media. For those of you who are in North America, I like to think of Mark McCrindle as the Australian version of George Barna from the Barna Group. Now, let me introduce you to Ashley. Ashley Fell is also a social researcher, author, TEDx speaker, and she is the Director of Communications at McCrindle. 
From her experience in managing media relations, social media platforms, and content creation, Ashley advises on how to achieve cut through in message saturated times. She is an expert in how to communicate across generational barriers and is regularly interviewed on prominent television programs such as SBS News, 7 News, Sky News, and The Today Show, as well as on radio, print, and online media. In addition to delivering keynote presentations at conferences, Ashley facilitates panels and delivers workshops across a variety of industries. With academic qualifications in communications, and experience in leading the communication strategy at McCrindle, Ashley brings robust, research-based, and experienced content to her presentations and consulting. I'm super excited for this conversation today with Mark and Ashley because I think all of us, no matter what our role is, have a responsibility to help Generation Alpha reach their goals without losing their souls, and I believe this conversation will help us all do just that. I hope you enjoy this conversation with my good friends, Mark McCrindle and Ashley Fell. Mark, Ashley, great to see you guys. Thanks for joining me uh, for this conversation on Perco's podcast. Mark, it was almost a year ago now that you connected uh, with me about the whole COVID situation and how Australians were responding to it. You guys' research, you put out some great content on how Australians were responding to the global pandemic. And for those listeners that didn't uh, hear that conversation, episode five, go back and check that out. Ashley, we connected recently and a few months ago now when you released the great book, Work Wellbeing, which by the way, I recommend to every workplace leader as almost a textbook on how to lead well in the workplace. So um, for listeners, that was episode 12. How are you guys doing and how have things changed with the pandemic and coming out of that at McCrindle? What what have been the changes for you guys on a personal level, but also as an organization? I, I'm, I'd love to love to learn. I'm curious. Yeah, it's been an interesting um, 18 months for us. So, I mean, Mark and I are used to going out and speaking at conferences and I always start with that big slide of 2020 and what a wild ride it was for everyone. And I think for us, a big part of what Mark and I do here and other members of our team is to go out and speak at conferences um, and share the research and the insights. And of course, um, we weren't allowed to have any conferences or do any of that. So last year looked very different for us, but we thought, well, let, what can we do instead? So we've released two books in the last 18 months, Mark and I, which has so um, been very busy, a busy time for us. Um, like many other organizations, we worked from home for a few months and we're all back in the office now, which we love. We love our team and it's been a delight to be back. Um, and then live events are kind of back up and running as well. So that's been really exciting. Mark and I have been interstate a few times this year, which we used to do on the regular. And now it's a really novel, exciting thing again. So that's fun. Um, and I think 2020 as well, I would often share with people like, and Mark, you might agree, um, even my time at McCrindle, I feel like last year we ran more research than we've ever done before just because wow. so much of our society and the foundations on which it's built were changing about how we work and how we do community and how we do church. So, yeah, more research than ever before. So, yeah, it's been an exciting year um, and a lot going on. Yeah. And you guys are starting to get back out now as well. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Things opening up, which is exciting. I mean, you know, really, 
uh, has just shown how blessed we've been here in Australia to be at this position. Um, and so you know, we, we're grabbing onto those opportunities. And, and the research for us, you know, it is an honour to, to have been conducting national research in a, in a pandemic, uh, just to track how Australians have been going. And what's remarkable is the resilience of Australians, but also let's not overlook how tough 2020 was. 57% of Australians in our study said that 2020 was the most difficult year of their life. Wow. And, and it led to changes. Um, 47% of Australians said that they have thought more about the meaning of life since COVID. Mm. A similar proportion said they have thought more about their own mortality because of COVID. And mm. so Australians have been reprioritizing. They've been reflective. Aussies aren't given much to reflecting on life. We just sort of get on and get it done. Yeah. It's been the no worries culture. But this has rattled Australians. And I think for great reasons and, and great outcomes, it has caused a reprioritizing, a revaluing, a slowdown, a reflection. And I think it's just a great time for Australians who are of faith and, and who can give some input and, and insight into the lives of Australians to be having these conversations at such a time like this. Yeah. I love, Mark, I've heard you say this so many times that we really are wanting to know the times we're living in and understand the days that we're living in so that we can lead and live in a way that is is most wise. And so what a time to be understanding the days we're living in, in such unique days. You know, you guys having the ability to research at such a unique time in history that I think I've even read it from you guys that that people will look back on and they, this will be a time that was in the history books as a significant mile marker, not just for Australians, but for the entire world with a unique, a worldwide global experience at the same time, that's kind of unusual for the, for humanity to have experienced. So I think it's fascinating. And I love the work that you guys are doing. So grateful that you took the time, not just to do the research, but to get out a couple of books and get the content out in whatever you know platforms you could possibly do it. So thank you guys for doing that. I do want to um I want to turn our attention in the conversation to the new book. By the way, for those that are watching the podcast on YouTube, I have it in my hands. You can find it in bookstores all over Australia, Amazon.com as well. Grab a copy of Generation Alpha. You guys co-wrote this, but not just the two of you, like you've done with previous books like Work Wellbeing and so on. You've added a third person, Sam Buckerfield. Can you introduce us to Sam and introduce us to kind of the roles that you guys played, the three of you, as you worked on the project together? I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, so uh, we did engage Sam and he is sort of a friend of McCrindle. He was a, um, a friend of someone who worked here, um, a really great Christian guy. So Mark met with him early on in the process um, and the book's been in the works for over 18 months, um, maybe even two years. And so originally I wasn't involved. It was just Mark and Sam um, because Mark is a normally busy person. So we thought let's engage someone to help get these thoughts down, finesse the wording, um, bring the concepts and the vision that Mark has to life, um, who's got that expertise. So we engaged Sam. And then I guess over time, particularly um, in last year, just with everything changing, Mark thought, um, and Mark can correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> to bring me into the process. So we'd already co-authored a book together by this point. So I assume that went well from your perspective, Mark. Um, <laughs> and I think, yeah, to help someone, to have another author from someone at McCrindle, I think was really helpful. Um, Mark being out and about so much, um, doing so many things and a really busy schedule, just having a third person to do all of that. And 
so much of what underpins this book is research-based. So mm. I was also able to help with some surveys and focus groups. And Sam and I actually had the privilege um, of going to a conference last year in the United States. And when I say that, everyone's like, when did you go to the United States? Yeah, um, so February, like at the beginning of Feb, yep. when coronavirus was like a little tiny whisper, I remember having masks in my bag even just at the, the thought of it. Um, but yeah, so we were able to go and we conducted a whole bunch of interviews with people and I ran a focus group over there and my husband was like my research assistant because he was with me. So, so good. yeah, it was, it's been a co- co-writing group, um, which has been really great because Sam's just added so much depth and, and insight and his storytelling ability has been fantastic too yeah. for us to utilise. Yeah. I, as I read through the book, you can tell there's a storyteller behind the research coming through and it's, it's so well written, easy to read, great content, but easy to consume, not difficult. And so I love the way you guys have kind of paired up the storytelling and the research data based, you know, coming through in both ways. I think it's fantastic. So, Hey, as, as you guys know, the, the theme of the podcast is really simple. We want to help leaders reach their goal without losing their souls. And so I would love to ask you some questions about the book related to kind of a variety of different leadership roles from like parents, teachers, employers, community and faith-based leaders. So um, really to gain an understanding, first of all, of kind of the highlight real characteristics of, of this generation alpha. And then if you would, Mark, I'd love for you to maybe tell the story a little bit too of how you came up with the name for this generation as you share some of their high-level characteristics. Sure. Well, you know, it's uh, it's exciting to have written a book about this emerging generation, the very latest generation. And as you alluded, Perko, you know, I, I think that it's important to get an understanding of the context in which we're operating. And as leaders, we tend to look in the mirror, uh, as it were, a bit about our organisation internally, do this, this gaze. But we need to also look out the window at the changing times, at the context. And as we look out the window, we see changing generations. We see emerging cohorts. And we say that, you know, the best leaders are focused not on the next program, but the next generation. They have that generation-to-generation mindset and so i'm sure we know generation x and then we went to generation y and generation z and we found ourselves at the end of the alphabet but the generations just keep coming and there's a whole generation born from 2010 these generations span 15 years now you know so if we we think about generation y sometimes called the millennials 1980 to 1994 they were born generation z 1995 to 2009 so from 2010 a new generation no letters left on the alphabet Uh, We didn't want to go back to A because it's not going back to the star. This is the first generation fully born in the 21st century. This is the first generation truly born global, truly born digital, devices in their hands from the youngest age. And and social media and the connectivity and the visual consumption of of information and the, the social influence that drives them. And so... It's a whole new terrain, a whole new context, a whole new era. So we picked up on the scientific naming, you know, moving to the Greek alphabet. So Generation Alpha is is the term we we put forward as the moniker. It seems to have stuck. And so that's who we're talking about. They will be the largest generation in history uh, wow. just because the birth numbers are higher now than ever before. Yeah. Uh, a global cohort that'll end up with more than 2 billion in their number by the time they're all fully born. So pretty sizable 
6,000 of them born in Australia every week, so fast growing here locally as well. And therefore, to understand this emerging generation, uh, because of their size, because of their influence, because of their unique times, is important. I mean, this, this generation has been in their formative years in COVID. And, and the age at which you're exposed to a big global event like that or a new technology or a new era, you know, does determine how embedded it becomes in your lifestyle and, and your psyche. So this generation will even be shaped more profoundly by COVID than the rest of us. So for all of those reasons, we wanted to dig deeply into them and understand them. And, and that's, that's who they are. That's the, the label that they've been given and, uh, and something of, of what's shaping them so far. Yeah. It's interesting that some of the key characteristics are they're a global generation. And primarily, I would say technology is really allowing for that global characteristic. And yet the pandemic has brought a unique global experience, not just the technology, but the, the pandemic that no matter where they go in the, in the world for the rest of their lifetime, they will always have a common experience, a common ground experience with other people from around the world. I think that's very interesting for a global generation to have something beyond technology that kind of unites them together. Hey, I picked up, as I'm reading through the book, I actually highlighted the word modeling multiple times throughout the book. And I'm assuming that was on purpose, that was intentional, um, but it seems like modeling is a key theme of leading this generation alpha. I would love if you could explain what do you mean by that? And then what, what are some crucial areas that leaders, no matter what their role is, parent, teacher, faith-based leader, whatever their role is, employer, what are some crucial things that this generation specifically is going to need us to lead in by modeling to them? Absolutely. It's going to be crucial. And especially because we're talking about children. We're talking about this current generation who will be known hopefully forevermore as Generation Alpha, but currently um, they're aged 11 years and under. And I think what when we were surveying parents and asking questions of education um, professionals and leaders, it was very much this generation are like sponges. And I'm sure many parents would identify with that when you, when you exhibit a certain behavior or you do something um, in front of a child and then they replicate that. So I think what we wanted to get across in the book is how important it is if we are teaching um, even principles or things that we want to instill in this next generation, we need to model that ourselves, which mm. um, as you kind of alluded to, Foco, is the role of a leader um, in any context, I think, because people we know just as human beings look to leaders for the accepted behaviours and what's normal and how to do things. And that's kind of how organisational leaders set the culture of an organisation, which is what we wrote a lot about in our previous book. But I think in families and um, and places where these Generation Alpha kids are, it's really about modelling. And I think one of the key defining traits that you picked up on for this generation is that they're very technology-based uh, and really formed in a time of great change around technology. And so one really key example that just kept coming up in the research that we conducted was all around modelling behaviour with screens and I think it's interesting, a lot of um, people and even the interviews we've been doing with um, radio lately, you know, everyone loves to talk about the intergenerational warfare and how every older generation loves to sort of talk about the young people like, oh, they're so tech savvy and um, oh, they're so lazy. And I, I just think but this is the world that they're being shaped in that was created for them by older generations. So that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to explore this world that they're being shaped in. And with technology and screens, I think that really comes down to 
us modeling the behavior that we want to see with them. Um, if we're telling them to get off screens, but we're always on our screens, then that can be really hard for them to sort of um, discern how to do that. So I think that's one area um, that we really see modeling to be really important. Yeah. Ashley, I want to piggyback off this whole screen thing because I was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine who leads a, a significant sized church up on the Sunshine Coast of Australia and Queensland, but he also has two children that are Generation Alpha. And he said, as I was sharing with him about the book and about the podcast coming up and the conversation I was going to have with you, I said, what would you love to ask Mark and Ashley? And he said, I've got one question I want to know. This is the screen age. This, this group of people are on screens. In fact, you guys have a chapter in the book entitled The Great Screen Age, chapter four. He said, ask them, is resistance futile? So I'll give you some context. He and his wife have watched other parents parenting and watched as toddlers, you know, growing up on devices and constantly on screens. And they made the decision they didn't want that to be their parenting style. They didn't want to just hand a kid an iPhone or hand the kid an iPad. So can you answer, first of all, just for my friend who will be listening to the podcast, is resistance futile? I think it's a question, though, many parents are asking. And then what answering that question, what does it look like to practice that healthy modeling? I, I'm fascinated by what you guys would recommend. Well, great question. And it is one of the most asked questions that we get. And and no, resistance is not futile. In fact, some level of resistance or boundaries or controls are essential because we're talking about children in their formative years. And the whole purpose of raising a child, of parenting, is to move them from dependence where we have to set boundaries and guide them to independence where they have made up their own and, and instilled their own behavioral mechanisms and values and can live it independently. So in the formative and dependency years, we do need those, those resistance strategies. Uh, we wrote in the book, you know, a little four-step uh, toolkit that might help DCBA and the D stands for delay the access to the device. There's no reason for a six-year-old to have their own mobile phone, you know, um, maybe depending on the circumstances at 10 or 11, they need that for because they've got some after-school activities or whatever. But as much as we can delay the access, the better. And I would say, you know, if you can delay it till the teenage years, their own device, that's a great thing. By all means, have access to devices because they're learning incredible skills. A lot of their education is through the devices now. They, they, it, it is the encyclopedia. It is the teaching tool. It is the coaching channel. So they need access. But if it's our device that we hand to them, they use and then hand back. Or if they've got their own iPad or whatever, fine, but we restrain the use of it um, to set hours, that's going to help. And that's the D for delay. The, the C was communicate the value. So back to the modeling point, parents have to model this and have to teach the values of what, what we value, what's appropriate, what we turn our eyes to and what we don't. And if the children can understand that, because they, they, they need that direction, they don't have that themselves, that's great. The, the, after the C for communicate, the, the B is behavioral strategies. You know, let's equip them with some strategies so that they can man monitor their own behaviors. There is an addictive nature to these screens. We know that. We see our children or others, and the more they have access to more, more the addiction plays through with the gaming, with the interaction, with the social media. As adults, we struggle to limit our time. We did a survey last year. We found that most Australians access their smartphone 
within the last four minutes of going to bed. Mm. And most Australians access it within the first four minutes of waking up. So it's there on the bedside. It's the last thing we do. It's the first thing we do. That comes close to the definition of addiction to me, you know. Uh, and if we as adults are having challenges, how much more the kids? So let's give them behavioral strategies, get them when they feel the impulse of the device to play some activities outside, you know, other, other moderating behaviors. And then the A stands for accountability. You know, mm. we do need to set some boundaries, have some consequences if they overstep those, and, and really keep some accountability there. It might be friending them on social media. It might be looking through the, the, the feed or the use. It might be setting some timeframes around when they access it and ensuring they stick to that. Now, over time, they'll move to independence and, and they'll manage that themselves. But that's our little strategy. It seems to be working well. Uh, I've modeled it, uh, tried it with my kids. And, and, and I think we do need some strategies. Otherwise, the technology will really not just define their life, but it will really be the dominating principle of their life. And we want it to be a tool and, and not really become their life. So some moderation is required. Okay, so Mark, that strategy in and of itself, worth the time spent in this conversation for parents, I think, fantastic. Um, have you noticed, Ashley, I would love to hear from your perspective, because you've got some nieces and things in your world like that are in this, they're this generation alpha. Have you seen some of this play out and what's been your experience with the strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So my, I've got six nieces and nephews um, and they're all Gen Alphas. So the youngest ranges from only a few months old to seven. Um, and it's really interesting. Definitely, I think they're probably a little bit more resistant to technology and screens than even some of my other friends who are, I'm the youngest of my um, siblings. So like who have children on my husband's side. So I feel like my friends particularly um, are introducing screens a little bit more, but I've definitely seen that delay and limit. And I guess what I've also found to be my, um, my sibling and siblings-in-law's experience and parents' experience, which um, was mirrored in the research we conducted, is parents really finding a tension between technology um, particularly. So we looked at these tensions, and I love that word because it sort of, I think, depicts the complexity that people are going through, particularly as kids age and they go through different life stages and brain development, which we talk about in the book. Um, but parents want to give their kids independence, but they also want to keep them safe. They want to expose them to the real world, but they also want to shelter them and protect them. Um, you know, and they want their kids to be tech savvy because they know that's going to be a world they enter into, but they want them to develop skills that come from, you know, things that are off screen activities and getting out in nature and things like that. So I think that's the, the change in times that parents today are navigating. And I see that in the parents that I know. And I think they're doing some great things in terms of um, getting, allowing technology to be in the home, but moderating that and teaching those values and just being open and communicating, going, this is why we don't have screen time at the table. Or this is why we're going to go out camping this weekend and turn everything off. So I think they're doing some great work for the parents that I know. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you've used a term in the book that I thought was excellent, digital intelligence. Is this what you're talking about? Is Can you unpack that concept and maybe some practical ways that Gen Alpha can build this digital intelligence? Yeah, absolutely. So we do try throughout the book to not just say these are the way that the world, this is the way the world's changing and then sort of mic drop and walk away. Um, we do try and give lots of practical tips um, and elements. And yeah, one of those um, is around digital intelligence and how parents and leaders and aunties and uncles can help instill this digital intelligence in these children because we don't want them to just be 
tech savvy. We want them to be critical thinkers of the content that they engage with and um, building resilience online and things like that. So some of the tips we have around building um, digital intelligence is making sure that kids understand that even when they're acting online or interacting online, um, it's about giving respect to other people that they might be engaging with or those platforms. Um, it's about also, I think, looking for ways to teach these kids about empathy. Um, and that's obviously a really key aspect of, I think, developing those interpersonal skills is understanding different people's perspectives and what they're saying online or what they're engaging with online. Um, the next one that's really important, I think, is to encourage scepticism. And I think all of us need to do that. And we're all constantly on that learning curve as technology becomes more integrated into our lives, even as, even as adults, um, is to go, okay, is what I'm reading true? Um, is this credible? Um, you know, encouraging that scepticism and that critical thinking. Um, the promote and model balance is always a key one and can be challenging for us as, as parents and leaders and adults, as Mark said, many of us are engaging with these devices as well on a regular basis. And also just to look for those moments, and, and I'm sure many, many parents would agree with this, to just find those moments where you can teach kids about what's going on and how the world's changing. And if there's an example of something that's happened online or something that's happened to you perhaps, um, you know, sharing what's appropriate with them and, and finding the lessons so that they can, again, like Mark said, as they get older, take those into their life as they, as they move into um, teens and tweens and, and adults. Yeah, I love that that teachable moments concept that you, you just talked about, Ashley, it's such a great parenting tip. You're going to make a great parent, by the way, with all this research, um, I think one day, and you're probably already mentoring and parenting those nieces and nephews really well as you uh, spend so much time with them as well. So I, I grew up um, actually not far from your offices. I grew up Borkham Hills area, and I fondly remember finishing school, riding my bike home. When we'd get home, we'd have a quick snack, some afternoon tea or something. And we were right back outside playing cricket or rugby league or soccer or whatever the sporting season was at that time of, of the year. And we were basically doing that for hours until it got dark and we couldn't see the ball anymore. Whatever ball it was we were playing with, you know, it got too dangerous to bowl a cricket ball at somebody because they couldn't see it. So We'd then go inside and have dinner. You talk about in the book that that's not the norm anymore. In fact, you identified this, this concept of the nature deficit disorder. I would love for you guys, I'm intrigued. What's the disorder and how can parents help to combat, combat this disorder with the fundamental challenges that this generation is facing with technology and all the things that are going on in the world today? Well, that's right. I mean, technology is where they're spending the bulk of their time. 70% of the discretionary time of children that is outside of the school or any chores that they do is spent on screens. Wow. So that's their go-to. That's their entertainment. That's their recreation. That's their social time. Having friends over a time with friends, it's through the technology. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and the downside of that is that they're just not getting outdoors as much. Richard Louvre was an American writer, and he coined this term nature deficit disorder. We write a bit about it in the book. He wrote a book called Last Child in the Forest with this, this sad vision that could we get to the point where kids just don't go into the woods or in his language, or we'd say the bush, yes. the parks, the playgrounds anymore. 
and and there is a, a sense of that. I mean, we've got a population that's growing up more in apartment living. Um, we we don't feel the sense of of the safety that that previous generations felt. Uh, children don't have that same freedom to to have that free play or unstructured play. We we perhaps overly cocoon our kids. They don't walk to school or ride the bike to school. We drop them off. And we understand the reasons for that, you know, and, and that parents have a high emphasis on safety and protection, of course, important. Mm. But we also want our kids to be holistically developed. We want our kids to have a confidence when they're outdoors. And if children, you know, are, are scared of going out or can't climb a tree or feel worried about bugs, I mean, this is Australia. We're going to have troubles in our future. This is the land of bush and bugs. And, uh, and if yeah. we don't know how to light a campfire um, or feel uncomfortable if we've got to camp out, you know, that, that's a problem. And I'm sure we all know through our experience, probably some of our best times of whether it be prayer or reflection or just processing things happened, happened when we're in creation. We go for a walk outdoors. And, and we feel confident and comfortable there. Um, you know, it's, it's God's creation. We see his, his handiwork, his beauty and his, his, uh, his animals. And, and, and I think there is a, a great value in that and a, and a problem if we've got kids who don't have that, that, that outdoors literacy, if you like, who, who are confident on screens, but unconfident uh, in the real world. And, and the other factor here is, is their health. Uh, and their lifestyle. And of course, screens can create a sedentary lifestyle. Now we need them to have those digital skills and, and, and that's fantastic. But you know, the future is gonna need them to not just have technology skills because we can outsource that to computers and automation. Mm. What they're gonna need is the ability to think creatively, to, to solve problems, to understand complexity, to relate well to people. And that can happen when they interact in the real world, uh, not just through screens and when they feel confident in getting outdoors and, and reflecting, um, not just having every spare moment spent on a device. Yeah. So Mark, you just listed off a bunch of skills that you can't outsource. Um, you know, we can outsource, like you said, robotics, automation, the computer stuff, but you then listed a, a set of skills. Let's, let's talk to educators that are, that are listening to the podcast for a moment You've identified this list of skills and you've kind of given them a category I understand as transferable skills. Can you explain, obviously, the need is going to be huge for these skills because we can't outsource them, but explain why it's so crucial for this generation specifically. And then can you maybe give some advice to educators? How are we going to teach these skills in the classroom setting? When they get to school, how are we actually going to teach these transferable skills that are going to be so crucial? Yeah, we do talk a lot about transferable skills in the book. And when we speak to educators and when we do a lot of um, or conduct a lot of research for the education sector, it's something we've been exploring and researching for a number of years. And so I think traditionally education has been really focused on what we call the foundational literacy. So it sort of describes how kids or students apply core skills to everyday tasks. So we're talking about traditional literacy and numeracy, financial literacy even, and those things are still really important. Um, but what we're seeing is now a greater appreciation for also these competencies. So how students approach complex tasks, things like critical thinking and the ability to problem solve. Um, are we able to be creative and find new ways of thinking about problems or new solutions? Um, communication skills, and even the ability to collaborate and work with other people. And then what we also believe is really important is a third element, which is the character quality of someone. And that's effectively how students approach this changing environment, which is going to be so crucial 
for Generation Alpha because their whole world is changing. And again, if anyone doubted that, we just experienced 2020. So I think we're all admitting that the world is changing and the times are changing. And that's the ability to be curious and take initiative to have persistence or grit to be adaptable effectively to have resilience, um, which we all know now, I think that we really do need. Um, and I guess for us, we know that this generation are going to be working in more machine-assisted workplaces. Um, the future of work is changing. They're going to have, we predict, 18 jobs across six careers. So they're going to change jobs more frequently because the average tenure of staying in a role is shorter. And so that's where I think it's not a, just a career for life anymore, but it's skills for life. And it's skills that they can take in different contexts and different environments and different industries. And that's how we believe kids today can be future-proofed. And I think what Mark was sharing as well is around the fact that a lot of this does, we learn at school. We also learn in the playground. We learn when we get opportunities to lead groups of people or be in sporting teams, or especially I think in, in church, we learn so many of these skills in a church environment, um, which is amazing for these kids, I think. And so, yeah, it's, it's really about, I think, in more machine-assisted workplaces, those skills that actually make us uniquely human, that we actually can't outsource to machines. If we can focus on developing those things in Generation Alpha, then we can equip them in good stead for a rapidly changing world and a changing future for them. Yeah. Well, we are going to pause the conversation with Mark and Ashley right there. It has been fantastic so far. Great information, great content for parents and educators, some great insights on how you can actually lead this generation, especially with some of the challenges that they're facing in the use of technology. But I'm really excited for Generation Alpha, especially as they talked about these transferable skills that we can give to this next generation to be successful and reach their goals. I'm so excited for them. Next week in part two of this conversation, we're going to dive into the impact for Generation Alpha in the workplace and how their generation is going to work so differently than what we know of work today. You won't want to miss that part of the episode next week. Before I go though, I want to make sure you don't miss any conversations like this one. So if you've not done so already, maybe you're brand new to Perko's podcast, I want to invite you to go to my website, jasonperkoperkins.com, sign up for the weekly email that we send out that notifies people of when we release these podcasts. Make sure that you sign up for that. Don't worry, we won't inundate you with emails every day. We don't want to fill your inbox with information that's not helpful and relevant. Our goal here at the podcast is really simple. We want to help leaders reach their goals without losing their soul. And we want to help you do just that. We love hearing from people that are finding these podcast conversations helpful for them. So make sure you hit us up online this week because let's face it, that's where we all hang out. You can email me hello at jasonperkoperkins.com or you can hit me up on social media. I'm primarily on Instagram and Facebook at jasonperkoperkins. I'd love to connect with you there and have a conversation with you. Also, if you're finding these podcast conversations helpful for you, I bet you you know someone that would find them helpful as well. We'd love it if you would share it with others. It's a great way to get the word out about these useful conversations that we share on the podcast. Another great way to do that is to not only share it with somebody else, but to also leave us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast platform. That's so helpful in getting these conversations to as many people as possible. Our dream here is super simple. We just simply want to see an entire generation of leaders 
reach their goals, and at the same time, hear them say with authenticity, it is well with my soul. Thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I look forward to connecting with you online this week. Can't wait to share part two of this such a fascinating conversation with Mark McCrindle and Ashley Fell next week. We'll talk to you then. Cheers. You've been listening to Perco's podcast. Join us next time for more insights on strategy, leadership, and soul care to help you reach your personal, professional, and spiritual goals while at the same time not losing your soul. In the meantime, make sure to connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.